Welcome to the Beef Brunch Educational Series podcast, bringing you information on cattle production and management in Louisiana and surrounding states. Okay, hi everyone. Thank y'all for joining our Beef Brunch uh, webinar series. This is for December of 2022. Um, We're doing things a little bit differently this month and the next couple of months just due to scheduling conflicts and things like that. We are pre-recording these webinars and releasing them for you. So this month we have Dr. Gary Hay. Um, Y'all heard from Dr. Hay before. He's our geneticist that we always go to for all of all things genetics, beef, cattle, and dairy, even though his background's been a little bit more dairy than it has beef cattle originally and shifted just a little bit for us. So um, Dr. Hay, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to you and you can proceed on to your webinar. Okay, Ashley, thank you. Morning, everyone. Uh, Happy holidays, getting close to Thanksgiving and Christmas. And I thought this would be an appropriate time of year to talk about uh, trying to improve maternal ability in beef cattle a little bit. I know many of you are uh, either already getting started or are getting prepared to start uh, calving a lot of cattle for the winter and spring calving season. So I thought we'd talk a little bit about uh, some of the techniques you can use to uh, improve maternal ability in beef cattle this morning. So with that said, I'm going to go ahead and get started on the slides and uh, we'll go ahead and get into it. Uh, okay, my first question asked you, are you seeing the slides change here? Yes, sir. You're good to go. Okay, good to go. All right. We're going to talk a little bit here, first of all, about what is maternal ability? <clears throat> well, as you, as you know, there can be many definitions of maternal ability in beef cattle, and I'm sure all of you have heard more than, more than your share. Probably the simplest and easiest way to understand maternal ability is it is the ability of a cow to produce and win a healthy calf every 12 to 14 months. I think that's what most of us in the beef industry and even in the dairy industry are striving for. However, at best, maternal ability is usually a loosely defined term that can be very subjective. Being loosely defined and very subjective means it can be very difficult to measure. And if it's difficult to measure, sometimes can be difficult for people to understand how to try to improve it. So I'm going to start off this by sharing a slide with you that I used uh, in our advanced master cattleman program looking at some common traits across breeds of beef cattle that these breed associations actually calculate EPDs for. So these are traits that are, uh, for these breed associations, very important for improving beef cattle in their breed. And if you look at this slide, I broke these down into groups of traits and I got the slide here for maternal ability traits. And the thing I want you to notice here, I've got five major breeds represented, Angus, Hereford, Brangus, Charlet, and Simmental, and you can look at uh, data from any breed association you choose. But for these five breeds, there's basically only two maternal traits that they calculate EPDs for. And EPDs, as you know, are estimated uh, progeny differences or expected progeny differences that are used to uh, measure the potential for genetic improvement in beef cattle. And these two traits, as you can see, are milk production and calving calving ease maternal. Uh, A couple of the breeds, Charlet and Simmental, Charlet measures total maternal effects. Simmental measures what they call a a maternal weaning weight, 
But in most cases, these breed associations, their maternal ability traits, which are traits they're trying to select for to improve maternal ability, only include milk production and calving ease maternal. So there's not a lot of maternal traits that they actually measure. So going to the next slide, let's talk about for a minute what affects maternal ability in beef cattle. Well, if you think about this from a common sense standpoint, there are several traits that can affect maternal ability. What we call protective behavior or the behavior of the cow when the calf is newborn, her, her uh, uh, behavior in protecting the calf. Fertility or reproductive performance, of course, calving ease, uh, her ability to produce a calf or have the calf without any dystocia or difficult birth. Milk production, uh, sometimes we think of udder and teat shape as the cow's ability to, to, to nurse a calf. And then probably the one that's talked about more than anything is calf pre-weaning gain. A lot of times how each of these traits influence maternal ability can vary from breed to breed or even from one producer to another. Another, uh, another way of saying that is that some producers may uh, value fertility or reproductive performance more, some may value gain more, some uh, utter and teat shape. It just depends on the producer and the breed. But the point is there are several specific traits that can affect uh, maternal ability. Okay, the next topic I want to talk about briefly is heritability. And for those of you who've been through the Master Cattleman Program or the Advanced Master Cattleman Program, uh, you know that uh, we define, in, in genetics, we define heritability of a trait as the portion of the total phenotypic variation in a population for that, for that trait that's influenced by an individual's genes, which are inherited from their parents. The heritability of a trait directly impacts the ability of change to change or improve the trait through selection. In other words, if you remember this, heritability ranges from zero to one or from zero to 100%. And we normally talk about traits that have a high heritability of being somewhere around 50% uh, or, or a little more. Traits that have a very low heritability can be as low as 5% or 10%. <clears throat> and if the heritability of a trait is low, remember that selection decisions for individuals will be based primarily on environmental differences, not genetic differences. If the heritability is, say, 10%, that means 90% of the differences in the phenotypes in a population are, in due to, are due to environmental differences. So genetic change through selection from one generation to the next is unlikely to occur if the trait has a real low heritability. If genetic change does not occur across generations, Phenotypic change then only occurs if there are environmental changes. In other words, if the environment improves, the cattle will perform better for that trait. So keep that in mind as we go through this. The next slide here is I, I talk a little bit about what are the heritabilities of some of these quote unquote maternal traits. Well, protective behavior, we really don't know. I haven't found any good studies to really show what the potential uh, heritability of protective behavior is because we don't really measure that in, a, in an objective way in, in beef cattle. Uh, everybody kind of talks about it, but we've never, I've never seen any studies where they really do a real good job of, of objectively measuring protective behavior. 
Uh, most of these traits, such as fertility or reproductive performance, calving ease, uh, and udder shape, tend to be low uh, to moderately heritable. Uh, udder shape is about the only one that has a little, a little bit higher heritability. And in the case of things like milk production and pre-weaning pre -weaning gain, or traits that we call production traits, their heritabilities tend to be a little higher, somewhere between 20 and 30 percent at the most. So what you can see from this is that the heritability of many of the traits that affect maternal ability are low, which indicates selection for those traits won't significantly improve phenotypic performance for the traits. In addition, measurement of some of the traits are not recorded by most breed associations. None of the major breed associations that I found record product protective behavior, and only a very few, such as the Hereford Association, actually measure other traits. <clears throat> so what does that all that mean? What that basically means is genetic selection for these traits that affect maternal ability is probably not going to be the most effective way for actually improving maternal ability. Uh, you can, in some cases, like in the case of maybe udder shape, milk production, uh, improve maternal ability for those uh, somewhat. But as you'll see from the next slide, it's a little bit questionable how big an impact that has. The other thing that affects uh, whether or not you can improve traits through genetic selection is the genetic correlation among traits. In other words, if two traits are not related genetically very much, if the same genes don't affect both traits, then what you're going to see is selection for one trait really won't have much of an impact on the other. If you look at the genetic relationships or the genetic correlations between these, these quote unquote maternal traits, what I found reviewing the literature is that most of these genetic relationships are fairly small. Uh, most of them are somewhere around zero. Uh, in other words, if you select for one trait, you won't have much impact on another. There are a couple that are slightly positive, such as fertility and calving ease, which means if you select for calving ease, you're going to get a slight improvement in fertility. Uh, <clears throat> and then there are some that are negative. If you select for fertility or if you select for milk production, uh, you're going to get a slight decrease in fertility or vice versa. Uh, if you select for udder, udder shape and teat size and so forth, you will get a slight reduction in milk production. Or the opposite is true if you're selecting for milk production. We know from the dairy industry uh, you can get some pretty uh, negative results for teat shape and placement if you select strictly on milk production. The one that's probably the most of interest here is weaning weight and milk production. And what I found in, in numerous studies is that the genetic correlation between milk production and weaning weight is actually slightly negative. It's pretty close to zero. But in several studies, they did find some sl slightly negative genetic correlations, around 5 to 10 percent. And what that means is when you select for milk production, you're actually not going to get much improvement or change in weaning weight uh, and vice versa. So selection for milk production probably is not the best way to try to improve weaning weight, pre-weaning gain, in other words. So how do you do that? Um, and we'll talk, we'll talk about that just a second here in the next slide a little bit. The bottom line is that genetic relationships among these traits that we consider maternal traits are usually pretty small. They're relatively small. 
combined with the low heritabilities for most of these traits means selection for any of these traits are probably going to have only minor impacts on the overall maternal ability of a cow. Numerous research studies, on the other hand, have shown direct selection for many traits has a much longer impact on phenotypic performance for that trait than selection for some maternal trait which supposedly uh, affects that trait. And probably the best example of that is uh, selecting directly for weaning weight will have a much greater impact on weaning weight than selection for milk production in beef cattle. As a matter of fact, several of the studies I reviewed, the the uh, select the uh, results for select direct selection for weaning weight had almost twice as much impact on actual weaning pre weaning gain than selection for milk production in beef cattle. So the bottom line is, from a genetic standpoint, maternal ability is kind of difficult to measure objectively. Uh, it's pretty loosely defined terms a lot of times. And you know from listening to me in, in the master cattleman class, as geneticists, we like to select for things that are highly uh, defined, that are can be measured objectively, and that's the way you make genetic improvement. The heritability of several of these traits that are specifically related to maternal ability tends to be low, and the genetic correlations among those traits tend to be low or in some cases even slightly negative. As a result, genetic improvement based on selection for maternal ability is probably of limited value in beef cattle, and that may be a surprise for some of you. Uh, many of you is probably not, <laughs> but there are a few breeds that kind of emphasize that and uh, I'm not sure that they're getting the, the, the best value for their efforts as they think. The next slide here, so how do we improve maternal ability in beef cattle? Well, if the heritability of those traits is low, most of the differences are environmental differences, then obviously the way we can improve maternal ability is by making environmental or management changes that enhance maternal ability. Okay, and I'm going to talk about these for a few minutes. One of the major ways to improve maternal ability and pre-weaning calf performance is through improved nutrition during the late gestation and early lactation. And we know this very well from the dairy industry, and there's no reason it doesn't work just as well in the beef industry, and numerous studies have shown that. Body condition scoring at least 60 days and preferably about 90 days before calving is one of the best ways to improve maternal ability. Uh, making sure your cows are in good condition prior to the, uh, the time that they calve is the easiest way, or one of the easiest ways to improve their performance uh, around the time of parturition and in early lactation and early growth period for the calf. So mature cows, as you, you've seen this before, should have a body condition score of at least or a minimum of five, and bred heifer is probably a minimum of five and a half. And what we usually say is mature cows five to five and a half, heifers five and a half to six, 90 days before calving. And if your cat, your your animal, your cows and your heifers are coming into calving season in poor condition, then that usually warrants some kind of supplemental feeding, some kind of grain feeding in addition to just hay, uh, starting prior to the time uh, calving season arrives. Uh, if you supplemental feed, that will usually pay for itself in improving those poor body condition scores and it will improve 
not only pre-weaning growth in those calves or early, early lactation growth in the calves, but also post-weaning calving reproductive performance in the cows. In other words, you all from common sense are aware of the fact that cows get in better shape earlier than they're gonna breed back quicker. So there are also several other management techniques we can that, that we can use that can have major impacts on maternal ability. And I'm just gonna go through these real quick. Um, the first is probably to breed your first calf heifers to high calving ease bulls to avoid dystocia. I mean, if you wanna wreck a cow or a heifer's maternal ability, uh, difficult births will do that, do that very easily. Not only do you get uh, heifer cat, heifers that don't breed back very well, but those calves born to those heifers tend not to perform as well. So body condition score on all your pregnant cows and heifers, 90 days before calving seasons, another management tool you can use so that you can uh, supplemental feed prior to calving if needed. One of the other suggestions I would make to everyone is establish a veterinary client patient relationship with your vet prior to calving season to ensure that you're going to get some assistance with difficult births if you need it. You know, calling the vet once the calf is the cow has gone down and started the parturition process, never having uh, established that relationship is going to be a lot more difficult to get the vet to respond than if you already have a, a relationship. Another thing I would suggest to all beef cattle producers, and you would you would think maybe this is not a problem, but I still see this as a problem a lot of times, is make sure you understand the impending signs of parturition prior to calving season so that you can go out and monitor those cows. And if you see an animal that's starting the, the process, uh, you can start paying more attention and monitor them uh, more closely. Make sure you have all your obstetric equipment such as chains, lube, gloves, et cetera, on hand prior to calving seasons. One of the worst things that uh, can happen is if you wait until the cows goes into to labor, they then start, goes to try to start rounding up some chains or lubes or something, if you're gonna try to assist the cow. Make sure you routinely monitor all your pregnant cow, and I would say at least daily during calving season. I know there's still a group of producers out there that think cattle ought to have their calves naturally, but uh, losing two or three calves because you're not paying attention to what's going on with your cattle uh, is not a very cost-effective method when it doesn't cost you a lot to go out and make sure you're monitoring your cattle. So that if one starts to go into parturition and starts to have some problems, you can catch, pick it up, pick up on it pretty quickly. Uh, and one of the things that I recommend to produce, to beef producers is to try to have some commercial colostrum available uh, for your calves, particularly the calves of first calf heifers. A lot of times these first calf heifers don't have real good immune systems and they don't produce highly effective colostrum and it will pay to you to pay you to have some commercial colostrum available if you see some calves that are born kind of weak or heifers that, that look like they're not nursing, you know, soon after the calves are born. And if you're going to give colostrum, it needs to occur sometime within the first day, preferably, with, preferably within the first 12 hours of calving. So those are just some tips. I know that a lot of you uh, probably do these and many other things to, to make sure that you get your calves through this, your cows through this very important calving season. Your calves are healthy and your cows are healthy. The last thing I'm going to talk about here real quick is 
crossbreeding to improve maternal traits. Even though I said genetic selection probably is not going to be real effective for improving maternal ability, there are some things you can do genetically that will have some positive effects on maternal ability. And the, the, the one thing more than anything else is probably crossbreeding. Um, crossbreeding can enhance maternal effects in, in beef cattle in two different ways. Um, the first is, uh, if you remember from the Master Cattleman programs, what we call breed complementarity, or the strengths of one breed offset weaknesses in another. The classic example of that is crossbreeding Herefords and Angus. Angus cattle tend to be known have to have a little bit better fertility and maternal ability uh, than Herefords, and although Herefords have better, have tended over the years to have a little bit better gains. So when you crossbreed those, you offset some of the weaknesses that are found in Herefords and make them the crossbreeds are a little bit more fertile. And, and that's just an example. The second way is through this thing you call, we call heterosis or hybrid vigor. And that's a genetic effect produced by gene interactions, which enhance phenotypic performance for a trait. Uh, in other words, if you take uh, something like weaning weight or yearling weight, you can enhance those in cattle uh, through crossbreeding because those F1 crossbred cows will tend to have a little bit better phenotypic performance uh, in enhancing the weight gain of their calves. So breeding F1 crossbred females to terminal sires from a third breed uh, can, can significantly enhance pre and post weaning gain in those F2 calves. And that's a technique that's commonly used in the beef industry. The drawback of that is you're going to have to have a supply of those F1 crossbred females because as they get older and you, you have to call them for reproduction or whatever reason, you'll have to replace them, which means you'll have to either produce them yourself or you'll have to buy them from someone else. So the, the, the crossbred F1 females uh, can be a problem. Nowadays, there are a lot of producers that, uh, that actually specialize in producing those F1 crossbreds uh, to market. So you can find those. And finally, I'm going to conclude by saying uh, three things here. Direct selection for traits important to calf performance is more effective for improving performance for those traits than selection for maternal traits in the dams of those calves. And numerous studies in the, in the beef industry have shown that uh, selection for maternal effects doesn't really have a huge impact or not as big an impact on the performance of those calves uh, than direct selection for those traits such as weaning weight and yearling weight and so forth. On the other hand, maternal ability in beef cows can be enhanced uh, a whole lot by proper management of late gestation and early lactation cows, especially through nutritional management and routine observation during the calving season. And finally, my last con conclusion is crossbreeding may enhance phenotypic performance in calves through maternal ability of the crossbred dams. So crossbreeding, particularly in the F1 generation, can be an effective way to produce to increase or improve maternal ability in beef cattle. Uh, take any questions or uh, you can send, if you have any questions, you can send in text messages or emails and uh, we'll be happy to try to uh, enhance some of the answers and, and give you some further information if you're interested. But actually, that's uh, kind of all I have today, and I uh, appreciate the opportunity to speak to all the producers a little bit about improving maternal ability.
Thank you. I'm going to pick your brain for a second since I'm the only one that can ask you a question. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I obviously completely agree. The maternal protectiveness would be very difficult to to measure um, and very subjective as well. But just out of curiosity, because you know I like to study temperament and temperament effects, I wonder how much of a correlation there would be on because you see both like you have the nicest sweetest cows that calve that turn into the the craziest mamas but a lot of times the crazy ones too are still extra protective so just what i mean what kind of correlation do you think we'd see there uh that's an excellent question first of all uh to be quite honestly with you i have no idea i don't think anyone's either measured that based on my own experience and you know observation over the years it's probably not a real strong relationship between protective ability and maternal ability, the ability to raise that calf, because I've seen those really sweet cat, you know, cows that don't do a good job. I've seen heifers that uh, look like they're going to just be outstanding. You know, they're just, you know, really have a really great body conformation, uh, outstanding heifers. And once they freshen, they just really don't have a whole lot of desire to be to, to be mothers. I've seen cattle that are, like you said, have a really strong temperament that will uh, chase you away in a heartbeat. Some that are very good mothers and some that are not. So it's it's from an overall standpoint, I don't think there's a whole lot of relationship between protective behavior and actual maternal ability or, or, or particularly maternal ability if you measure it as pre-weaning gain. Yeah, that's kind of how I guess it's kind of what I was probably leaning to because Sometimes it is just a crapshoot on, <laughs> on what's yes. going to happen there. Yeah. Um, because you mentioned it and because I know that you get these questions and we all get these questions. So you mentioned calving ease, especially on first time heifers. And we still get the questions about birth weight EPD versus calving ease EPD. So just short, brief. Do you mind just giving a summary of those two? Why we look at calving ease and have kind of emphasized that a little bit more lately? Um, Sure, sure. I think that's a very valid question, and you're exactly right. That's probably the one question we get more than anything else is, is what's the best way to do it. And I prefer that people select for calving ease for a pretty simple reason. Uh, calving ease as defined by these, uh, the NAAB and, and all these breed associations is the percentage of individual heifers of a, of a, of a bull or the daughters of a bull that have little or no uh, assistance during birth. So the higher that percentage, the higher the calving ease score for that animal, for that bull. Uh, calving ease measures really the ability of the, of the heifer calf to have the calf without any problem. A lot of that's determined by birth weight, there's no doubt. Uh, the size of the calf has a huge impact on uh, uh, difficult births and on calving ease. However, there are some other things that determine that. It's not all birth weight. Some of it's the size of the animal, uh, you know, the, the size of her pelvic canal, how, how growthy she is, her frame size, and so forth. The reason that it's, it's much better to use calving ease is because calving ease uses a combination of that, those other factors along with birth weight. If you just select for birth weight, and I've seen this in herds, uh, birth weight's highly genetically correlated to yearling, to weaning weight, yearling weight, and mature size. In other words, the same genes that control birth weight control those other traits. 
And what you can see, and I've seen this before, people that use strictly low birth weight as a genetic selection tool for bulls, you will get into some problems with, with weaning weights, low weaning weights, and low mature size or smaller mature size very quickly within two or three generations. Uh, I've seen this in purebred herds, as I said. So if you're selecting just on birth weight, it's going to have an impact on your weaning weight, your yearling weight, and, and it's going to have an overall impact on frame size and mature, uh, mature cow size. So you're probably better off selecting for, not probably, you are better off selecting for calving ease other than just low birth weight. Thank you. I just foresaw some questions coming in on that <laughs> based off. Sure, this. we always get those questions. Uh, so I'll, I'll quit picking your brain. I'm just going to let them know a little bit about upcoming webinars. Um, so I will put Dr. Hayes' email into the video and podcast descriptions for this. Um, and then moving forward, as I mentioned earlier, we still have some scheduling conflicts. So um, in December, we have our annual conference for, for agents and specialists with Ag Center. So we're out for that. That's when Dr. Hayes' um, webinar is being released here. In January, you will have a pre-recorded webinar uh, from Mr. Boo Persica, who is the um, meat science laboratory manager and an instructor in animal sciences. That was recorded during our Marketing Your Beef workshop this past July. And so he's going to be talking about the harvesting and processing of, of beef. And then in, so that's going to be released on January 10th. So it'll come out at 1030 um, on January 10th. And then February 14th, Valentine's Day, um, we have Mr. Tyler Bro, and his is also pre-recorded from that Marketing Your Beef workshop. Um, he discusses quality and yield grades, um, both on the hoof, on live animals, as well as on the carcass. Um, and so both of those will be posted as well. The last thing I'll mention, um, Dr. Hay had mentioned preparing for calving season. I did put together an article for uh, one of our newsletters a year or two ago. Um, where I have a list of different tools and equipment pieces that you should have and just some other things, as you mentioned, the colostrum and things like that. If you'd like me to send that article to you, I can definitely do it. My uh, contact is always in the video and podcast descriptions as well. Um, I will be out on maternity leave by the time that this is being released into the world. Um, so I will send it to you. No promises that it will be the same day, <laughs> but I, I will be checking my email while I'm out and I can get you all that article if you're interested in that, um, that has that list together. So Dr. Hay, thank you again for jumping on with us today and allowing us to, to pre-record this so that we can get it out to everyone. Thank you, Ashley. I, I appreciate the opportunity to speak to everyone and, and uh, happy holidays and good luck to you.